Hello folks and welcome back to the High Performance Human Podcast. I'm your host Simon Ward and each week I'm joined by guests to share knowledge and wisdom to help you on your journey to living longer, living healthier and of course improving your triathlon performance. Before I introduce this week's guest I'd like to say thank you so much to Katya Hadashik whose generous donation has covered the cost of this week's podcast. So Katya, this episode is dedicated to you. In the four years since we started the podcast, we've managed to do so without adverts. And I'd like to continue in this manner, but the costs of producing the weekly podcast are growing annually. If you're interested in making a one-off or a regular donation to the podcast to help cover our costs, then in return, I will dedicate the episode to you and we can avoid forever, I hope, the thorny issue of adverts. You can find a link in the show notes below or you can email Beth at thetriathloncoach.com for further details. Okay, on to this week's guest. So in a recent times, ultra trail running and gravel bike riding have become really popular and events have grown with that popularity. But in Yorkshire, we've got two events, the Three Peaks Run in April and the Cyclocross in September that have been running for over 40 years. And whilst they could be called extreme trail and extreme gravel rides, they're very, very popular and get full up very, very quickly. So my guest today is Andy Peace, and Andy is one of only two men who've won both events in the same year. In fact, in 1996, he broke the record for both and the running record is still held today. So that's 26 years this year. So let's hear from Andy and please excuse this. Occasionally, we also hear from Moss the dog who wanted to get a word in and also wanted to go out for a run. Welcome to the show, Andy Peace. Hello, Simon. How are you? I'm great. Um, how are you feeling today? We've, uh, yeah. we've both been a bit ropey, haven't we, since we came back <laughs> yeah, from skiing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a bit ropey last week with the cold, but I'm back to normal now. Well, I've come over to your house in lovely Haworth. Um, a lot of people will know Haworth as a lovely tourist destination, but as we'll talk about later, Haworth's also a sort of centre of a, a thing called fell running. It's got a huge fell running scene. Yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, there is. There's been a. There's a few round here who've uh, had the moments. Well, Andy, um, I'm going to come on to that later. The Three Peaks Cyclocross, the Three Peaks running events, but. Let's talk a little bit about how you got started with running. Let's go right back to school, because you're not, you're not so old that you can't remember that. <laughs> I might just be remember them days. <laughs> uh, initially, I think I did start, I can't remember really doing much at school when I was younger, but um, what initially got me into running was my dad was a member of the running club, Bingley Areas, and uh, it was roughly around about when I was 10, uh, he asked, there was a, there's a, a local fell race that goes up um, what's called Bailden Moor from Eldwick, Eldwick Gala, uh, and he said, "Do you want to come, me and my brother? I've got a twin brother as well." And initially, I wasn't really that keen on going, and uh, I thought oh, I'll just tag along, see what it's all about. And uh, I did the race, and I actually won a prize. And I thought, "Oh, this is all right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've won a prize here." What, did, what was it? What was your prize? <clears throat> uh, to be honest, I can't remember. Um, it's a long time ago, 1979, so it's, uh, you know. Um, 
I thought, oh, I had to do a run up and down that hill and I got a prize. So, you know, and then I started going down to the running club with my dad and my brother and uh, it just kind of took off from there. It just snowballed, really. So, that's That running club, that's Bingy Harriers, thing. Bingy Harriers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they've got, fairly, they've got a fairly decent tradition, haven't they, of uh, fell runners before you and after you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean... Um, just a few years before I started, there was a guy called Martin Weeks who won the uh, English Fell Runner Championships. I think that was like 1976 or 7. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, there was um, other guys who were fairly prominent at the time, Ian Ferguson, um, and then a whole host of, you know, Fell Runners in the club. So Yeah. Was Ian yeah. Holmes part of that team? Uh, not the, not at that time. No, he came. No, he, he he didn't come along for probably a good ten years really after that. But mm. um, no, he was never really involved in while I was coming up through the you know the up into the junior senior ranks, and then, mm. then he then he kind of started doing a bit more and, uh, and progressed really. So yeah. And before. and after that, of course, uh, the Brownleys. They, so they maybe have been inspired by you, I would think, because <laughs> when you were in, probably when you were at your peak, um, Alistair and Johnny would have probably just been starting out running with the Harriers. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, um, I do remember going to uh, um, at the World Mountain Running Championships. It was in a place in uh, Turkey, a place called Bursa. Uh, amazingly, there was a ski resort in Turkey. Um, epic journey to get there, I remember that. Um, but Alistair was running as a junior then, and I was, I think it was my last time I ran as a senior in the world mountain running, so I was getting towards, you know, I was stringing it out a bit by then. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, I think that's probably the first time I came across Alistair. And uh, yeah, I, I can't remember how he did, to be honest, but um, yeah, that's the first time I met him. I seem to remember that he was racing for British Triathlon as well, and he, he, there was one time when he went off to some youth games, international youth games in a relay, right. right? and that was on the Saturday, and then when the rest of the team came back, he had to get a, a bus or something elsewhere right. to go and take part in the yeah. mountain running games. It may or may not have been that yeah, particular yeah. instance, but... yeah, um, yeah. I mean, not wrong with that, is there? I mean, no. Uh, well, no. He was. He, I think his allegiances were sort of split at that point. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Clearly, I made the right decision going into well, yeah, yeah. Uh, into triathlon because I'm yeah, not sure yeah. the rewards would have been as great. Not in February, no. He might have picked um, up the odd um, the odd NAF prize somewhere along the line, but no, no Olympic golds yet for <laughs> no, fell running. No, no. So, what, what is it? Do you think about Howarth and and the Keithley area that um, you know just helps develop all of these runners? Well, I compared, mean, to, compared to other areas, because it's not the only hilly mountainous area in the UK, is it? Oh, no, definitely not, no. But, there, I mean, so like when I was, you know, coming into my junior, senior ranks, there were just so many people to train with and, and good runners, you know. There was, there, was, there was guys who were going to major championships on the track and international cross-country and road runners. So, it, you know, it, they were just there for you to run with, I mean... Obviously, they're a lot better than me, but um, they brought me on to a different level. So, mm. I mean, it was great, really. So it's just that—it's just that inspiration, really, of those other runners and and that sort oh, yeah, of community, yeah, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, now you're a pretty good—you're a pretty good cyclist as well. So, at what point did <laughs> what what point did cycling enter your life? Um, 
probably like in my late teens actually because um i didn't really like cycling because i just thought the saddles were really uncomfortable and it seemed to make your legs hurt <laughs> um but i did buy a i did get a mountain bike off a, a friend you know the old muddy fox we you know suspension mm. 26 you know um back in the day and uh I started doing a little bit of mountain biking. I thought, oh, this is this is quite good fitness, you know. And then then I bought a road bike, and then and I used to go and watch my dad race the three peak cyclocross like in the eighties. And I remember watching uh, a team of Swiss guys turned up. I can't remember what year it was, eighty two maybe, um, and a slightly different course to what they run now. But they, they came. This Swiss guy was. I can't remember whether he was leading or not, but he came down this, the stony track into what's called cell side. We know Tub on his front wheel just riding the rim and then literally threw his bike over the gate and launched himself over the gate and carried on. And I thought, bloody hell, that's proper hardcore, that, isn't it? You know, and I always thought, ah, yeah, I won't mind doing that. And obviously I'd watched my dad do it and he did reasonably well as well. So that was always something to aim at as well, you know, mm. but... It was quite hard fitting it all in because I still wanted to concentrate on running as well. Mm. But we managed. But there's a bit of a tradition, isn't there, amongst the fell runners? Certainly the ones that I know from you and um, and what have you, of, of sort of cycling to events and then cycling back again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably like a good day out, isn't it? You know what I mean? And there's there's always a there's always a few drinks involved, which makes it even more fun. But yeah, you'd think no, like you know, riding up the dales and doing a fell race and riding home or riding over to Pendle, have a little run round Pendle and ride home, you know. Yeah, when you say little run, just for the listeners, if you clarify <laughs> that, because it's, it's not just riding on the valley, are there? There's a couple of little hills to go, <laughs> yeah, or a couple yeah. of big hills to get over in order to get to Pendle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. But um, Let's say if you're, running, if you're going over to Pendle from Howarth, how far are you running? Uh, sorry, how far are you riding to do it? Well, you might only ride 20 miles. I mean, it's not that far to there, really. But there is a, a big hill in the way, you know, and uh, obviously a big hill in the way back as well. Normally, your legs are a little bit a bit stuffed by then. But, you know, you, you just did it, didn't we? You know, that's what everybody did. <laughs> so, so <laughs> tagged <the> along. <laughs> the cycling was almost a means of getting to places. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, as much as yeah, it was yeah. training. And nobody had to drive, so you, you, you could have you could have a beer then as well. You know what I mean? Nobody had to drive. Up. Right, so really, you weren't doing a fell race. You were doing this sort of like uh, <laughs> bike run, bike duathlon. Yeah. Um, and, and with a sort of T1 and T2 involving the pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that sort of fell running culture. At the end, so you, you, you now a days then, do you prefer cycling or running still? Um, I mean, my body prefers cycling, definitely. Um, I still try and run fairly regularly if I can, and in an ideal world, I'd be like running, still racing fell races in the summer and racing cross in the winter. Um, but it doesn't always pan out like that because, uh, you know, my, my body's a bit more fragile these days. Mm. So. I have to be a bit careful. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's the same for all of us, isn't it? It's that realisation in our head, we're maybe 25, but your body's 55. Yeah, well, yeah. maybe not for, yeah. for me anyway, maybe not for you. So let's, for the listeners then, and, and the uninitiated, um, I'd like you to explain a little bit about fell running, what a fell race is, and then what cyclocross race is. Um, fell running, for those of you listening, you may have read the book Feet in the Clouds. I think Andy actually features a couple of times in that. So yeah. uh, 
Um, if you haven't read it, I'd strongly urge you to go and get it because it's a fantastic book on it in its own right, and it'll really give you an insight into how Felrun and developed and uh, and the culture. And you can play a little game of finding all the places where Andy's <laughs> mentioned. So tell us tell us about a fell race, Andy, a typical fell race, because the the three peak cyclocross isn't your typical fell race, is it? Uh, no, far from it. Um, <clears throat> well, a typical fell race would be like up and down, really. Um, you know, like a lung busting climb and, and maybe a um, a bit of scrabbling over some rocks and you know hit a trig point and then basically it's a run a free-for-all and run down as fast as you can without uh damaging yourself but i mean it really takes on a lot of variations you know you can go from like a short sharp up and down races that are probably maybe eight minutes and then you can get to the extreme you know the lakeland mountain trial which can be five hours, you know, um, all county tops, five, six, seven, eight hours. Uh, and then there's the traditional long fell races in the lakes, Borrowdales, Ennerdales, Wasdales, so they're three, four, five hours, however long you want to. But they're rough and, nav- and navigation plays a big part in them sort of races as well. Mm. You know, you don't, ra- they're never flagged. Very rarely are fell races flagged. So there's always a little, you know, if, you re- if you're really keen Especially the, like the long lakes, you need to do a little bit of homework and do what they call a recce and suss it all out, really. Because when the clag's down, you could be anywhere. The clag, that's the cloud. Mist, 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 mist. Now, the triathletes listening to this uh, will be familiar with doing races where there's little yellow marker um, signs on the roads with arrows telling you whether to go left and right, and there'll be marshals yeah, yeah, at yeah, certain points. Yeah. Do you get any marshals at all in the fell races? Um, yeah, you will get a few. Yeah, mainly on the summits, checkpoints, um, south there all day in atrocious conditions. You, you got to take your hat off to them. Um, but no, not really. I mean, you know, there's, there's nobody there pointing in the right direction. You know, you got like I say, you got to do your homework, go for a recce. Real, you know, you, you'd be running and. Try a fence line, a pile of stones, use them as reference points, you know. Mm. Um, worst case scenario, take a compass bearing. <laughs> so would it, my strong point. W- would it be fair to say that the majority of fell runners are just spend a lot of time in the hills? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So you're not, you're not just going there for a race. You're probably out walking there and maybe yeah, mountain yeah. biking and just, yeah, you're yeah. familiar with the hills. Cause I guess on certain races, local knowledge and, you know, um, it's easy to pick the wrong descent. Off, off the top and go down the wrong valley, isn't it? Oh, so, so sure, knowing yeah. knowing what the footpath looks like in the cloud, yeah, so you yeah. don't have to stop yeah. and take a couple. I mean, you might not even use the footpath. You know, the quickest, best line would be off the path. You know, the paths can be quite rough. Whereas, you know, you could pick a line of grass or a, um, a scree to get down, which is a lot easier on the legs mm. and probably faster. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> like I said, it's just basically doing your homework and. As you spend more time in the hills, you, you know, you get more, your legs get accustomed to it over the rough stuff and it just becomes more natural to you. Yeah, that that whole thing about not sticking to the path and going uh, off-piste and just running across the grass, tufts of grass, which are often wet, um, where you can't tell what's under your feet. And yeah, yeah if you watch a fell race, yeah. uh, it like you said, you take your brain out and just yeah. throw yourself down, yeah. it'll let gravity do the rest. So how... How do you do that? Is that just practice or is it faith in faith in something else? Well, I mean, practice does help, that's for sure, you know. But I think there's there's people in fell running, you kind of work out what you're good at. I mean, there's people who are, who are really strong climbers but can't descend. There'll be people who can run over the really rough stuff. The people who have a knack for navigation, 
you know, and it, it's like, um, you know, you, you, you do a fell race and you, you might be super strong on the day, but if you don't know where you're going, what, you know, mm. what's the point? You know, you, it's not, sometimes it's not the best runner wins on the day. It'd be like the person who got round in the shortest time by being good over the rocks, being, knowing the route, you know, knowing where to go. Mm. Um, but then again, you'd, you'd get a, you know, you, you probably, on some of the more classic fell races, the shorter ones, then it usually is the fastest, strongest runner that wins, unless he, uh, kills himself on the way down. What, what's, what's your best trait then? Up, down, descending, uh, was, or, uh, navigating? Um, definitely not navigating, um, Definitely, uh, I was definitely a better climber. I would always find myself near the front of a race on the uh, at the top, uh, and on my day I wasn't too bad at descending. You know, I mean, um, Holmes it might say different, but I have I've had my moments. You know, I've won Ben Nevis, so you've obviously got to be reasonably at descending to get off mm. down Ben Nevis in thirty minutes. So, um, but definitely, definitely more. Um, more of an uphill runner, really. Mm. So. I mean, I can see how, you know, going uphill is about um, power. Well, cyclists talk yeah. about power to weight, isn't it? So it's yeah. lighter and yeah, yeah. having, you know, having the lung power. Yeah, but yeah. descending isn't about your lung no, power no. or about fitness, is it? <laughs> no. It's about a little bit of nerve. No, and is it, so, can you train? Can you train to be a better descender? Is it just? Is it just something that some people have? <laughs> I think to begin with, you, you, you know, you, you, you will have more of a natural ability at descending, but it, it, you know, if you keep doing it all the time, you, you will get better. That's for sure. You know, and there's no doubt about it. So just keep chipping away and, mm. um, yeah, following faster people downhill, watching how they do it and right. try to, um, do that as well, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I mean, th- I think when you're not such a strong descender, you're always breaking, you know, you're always, you're not too, you're not light on your feet and you, it just hammers your quads. So if you're not a strong descender, you're hammering your quads a lot more than somebody who is a right. descender. They're very light on the feet and just kind of, you know, if you watch them, they tend to just skip over the rough terrain, whereas somebody who's not as good is like breaking all the time and then, it just fatigues you. See, it sounds more. counterintuitive, that, doesn't it? And to those uninitiated, they would be breaking, wouldn't they? Because yeah, they're yeah, because it's a natural reaction. That. But, of course, you're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're spending longer on your foot, so there's yeah, more yeah. chance of you turning an ankle. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, you're not as light on your feet, so, you know, you're going to be putting your foot down a bit heavier, and if you do, you know, go over on a little rock or something, you know, you're not as light on your feet, your reactions won't be as quick, and there's mm. more chance of... Um, cockling an ankle or whatever or falling over and but if you do watch the best descenders you know they 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 just they just seem to float really a little bit but mm. they make it look a lot easier than what it is that's, that's yeah it. yeah and I suppose you only know really what it's like if you try it don't you yeah 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 mm. um what you talk about you know, tight quads and your quads just tying up there with all of those muscular eccentric contractions. But what about injuries? I mean, I've got I've had three cartilage, you know, surgeries now, and the and yeah. the and the surgeon said to me actually, you you can carry on cycling and running, but I wouldn't really do any fell races. <laughs> and it, it always makes me think that if there's that constant 
hammer on your knees going yeah. downhill that at yeah. some point they're going to complain and yeah, um, yeah. yeah. you know they're going to get in the way but does that happen do the fell runners typically suffer knee injuries um, or is it more likely to be ankles yeah I mean long term injuries I suppose it's not brilliant for you but I mean fingers crossed I'm alright I mean I don't seem to suffer too much with mm. knee and ankle problems but um I mean, there is a big risk of damaging yourself. I mean, I, I'm ending up in hospital a couple of times from falling over. <laughs> you know, so what was that? Did you, what, um, did you break break your wrist or hit your head? No, um, I was doing a race, uh, Buttermere Sail Beck, which goes from Buttermere, a big horseshoe, and um, on the last second, the last descent, I think it was, I slipped on the descent. And somehow managed to slice my knee open on a, probably just a sharp rock, glanced across it. I didn't really notice at the time. I did notice there was a lot, there was blood running down my leg, but, you know, I was, I I was up near the front and I just, but then when I finished, I had a look at it and uh, I thought, oh dear, that's not very good. (laughs) Seeing bone. (laughs) Yeah. Whisked off to (laughs) Kendall Hospital to get stitched up. Right. And uh, I've dislocated my shoulder. That was on Ben Nevis. so yeah, I mean, there obviously is a risk of mm. doing some damage, but you don't see you don't see that much um, many injuries really, and it's just cuts really. And, mm. You know, I suppose for those people who are still running fells uh, as they get into the forties and fifties, it's a survival of the fittest because if you've got weak knees, yeah. you're not going to be doing it for very long. Oh no, you? no, definitely not. No, it's probably not a good idea, is it? <laughs> no, <it's> no. <laughs> you'll not see me on any of those TN seven fifteen evening runs. You know, going downhill fast in the dark is just uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A, I can probably pretty much predict what's going to happen. Yeah. So. Um, so you've explained fell running. Let, explain cyclocross. I think people will be more familiar. And of course, they may be even more familiar now because um, a couple of days yeah. before we're speaking, the local rider Tom Pidcock won, was yeah. the first British rider to win the World Cyclocross yeah. Championship, yeah, and he's from yeah, he's yeah. ridden with you guys since he was a junior, hasn't he? Yeah, I came across Tom quite a few years ago, and uh, remember chasing him up Malam Cove, this young little skinny lad. I think, blimey, yeah. he's taking some catching. <laughs> I don't think I did catch him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely putting cross on the radar for everybody. And, uh, well, I suppose to explain cross, basically it's cross country running with a bike. Right. You know. It, yeah. And in some races, actually, you do more running than cycling, don't uh, you? You can do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say it's harder than cross country running because you've got to drag a bike around with you as well. Mm. You know, and, and plow through with them in ankle deep mud it's it's blooming hard work you know it's like a full body workout really you, yeah you, you know it's you're using your core your back you know to get the power out um yeah it's, it's quite demanding but um really good fun though at the same time but, um, so typically if anyone's interested in getting into cyclocross they've seen it on the telly we're coming to the end of the cyclocross season now aren't we yeah, yeah uh, in the yeah. uk anyway so um maybe something to, for people to think about for next winter but um how do you get into cyclocross, and uh, what and, and what sort of typically are the race distances or times? It's dead easy. There's um, there's lo- loads of local uh, leagues. You know, you like there's Northwest League, Yorkshire League, all over the country. So all all the races will be online. Just pre-enter, rock up, and you're good to go. 
So basically, the races can vary from the young kids from 10 minutes to the seniors to an hour. It's anywhere in between, you know, the, the older end are generally riding for 40, 50 minutes. So it's based on time. A bit, bit, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. If you're a, if you're a senior, you're going to ride for an hour. If you're a veteran, you'll ride for 40, 50 minutes. Mm. And if you're a, you know, like under 10, under 12, it's only a 10 minute. Right. <laughs> usually see all the parents pushing them around. But... And it's usually a, a circuit around the field. Yeah, normally yeah. Um, parkland, um, football pitches, bankings, you know, off cambers, steps, you know, um, roughly about, Two and a half kilometers a lap, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes, depending on how muddy it is. Mm. So yeah, I mean it's great for spectators as well. You know, you get to see um, people all the time, really. You know, falling off, making a fool of themselves. Yeah. So fell running in the summer, is that right? And then cycle across the winter. Is that generally how your year goes? Uh, it does now. Yeah. If if I'm uh, fit for running, um, I mean, when I was a lot younger. It, I didn't really race that much cross. I used to do the three peaks and then, but I was, I was more into cross country running then. And that was, that was what I enjoyed. And if I got injured, I'd, I'd dabble with a bit of cross and so be in and out, you know, but really running probably up to me mid thirties when, you know, then I started picking up a few injuries and I thought, Oh, I'm going to have to do something else now. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So you, you know, you talked about, Sort of from an early age, because you, you know, because of your dad's interest in fell running, did you never really like the idea of track running or or, um, or road running? You know, because that that was probably around that time you were talking about. There was when the London Marathon first started, wasn't it? Yeah, so there was a big boom yeah, in road running. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we did a little bit of track. We did some. Uh, there used to be a. I don't know that it's still on now. Um, I think it is West Yorkshire League track races. We used mm. to do them as kids, um, but I never. I never really got, you know, I could go to a, say, a track race and run a 1,500 metres, and I really didn't like it. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be just mid-pack making the numbers up, really. But then the next day, I'd go and do a fell race somewhere, and I'd be like, I'm so much more competitive. And mm. You kind of enjoy that more, don't you? So it was just kind of natural for me to go into fell running, cross-country running, because that was suiting my style of running, really. But, yeah, we did everything as kids, you know, road, track, fell, you know, just see what you like, really. I suppose if you like the outdoors as well, and you like being in the hills, then fell running sort of plays towards that um, sort of enjoyment as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, we used, maybe Dad used to take us, like, walking, camping, you know, up in the hills, and we'd, like, camp out by a tarn in the lakes and go for a swim, and, you know, it was good fun. You know, I remember walking the Dales Way with my dad when I was 10, me and my brother, um, and that was that was good fun as well. So mm. it's kind of ingrained into you a little bit, isn't it? So, and with cyclocross, then just jumping back to that again, how how does one train for that? Because I guess there's got there are some specific skills that you need, like being able to jump off your bike quickly and then remount it, and then being able to, if you watch the elite guys, they can pretty much jump off and pick the bike up and yeah, shoulder it yeah, in one go, in can't motion, they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would help to go to a few training. Um, they do run um, there's quite a few around here a couple of local training sessions once a week and they're really good for your technical you know getting on and off riding slippy corners ruts and all that stairs you know bunny hops um, but 
is quite a specific event really to train for because it's it is you know it's a little bit endurance but it's so explosive as well it's like doing a blooming interval session for 40 minutes you know like you sprint from one corner and then get around the corner sprint to the next corner mm. um it's just full gas from the word go but i mean if you did a cross-country running race you, you, you wouldn't sprint off the line and keep it going for six mile would you you just mm. you just can't do that but we cross you, you, there's no let up really you just got to full effort all that's for those of you who want to get into the first corner in the well, league yeah course. yeah i mean if you want to be competitive it's really important to you know especially if it's gnarly and you know there's a lot of twists after first corners you you don't you don't want to be fighting your way through a load of bodies and bikes it's you know it's mm. it's hard work but you're wasting a lot of energy so the starts are really important and then you know then there's all the other things that come into it you know your technical riding in mud and getting on and off when to get off and when to get on and what can you ride and then there's you know how do you change every lap there's a pit where you can get a spare clean bike and uh do you change every lap? Do you change every half a lap? Because mud's heavy. You yeah, know, yeah. You don't want to be, you know, you, you don't want to be carting a load of mud around with you if you don't have to. So, I guess most people won't have the luxury of having a, 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 a two bikes well, or three bikes. Yeah, I mean, two bikes is, I wouldn't say it's a necessity, but it does help, you know. Yeah. I mean, they do say cyclocross is like the grassroots of cycling, but when you go to a cross race, it's, it's it seems far from it for me. There's like... Everybody's got two bikes, spare wheels, jet washers and vans and, you know, it's bunkers. Maybe that's because you've got the grassroots stuck in the back wheel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing that. I remember you talked about your first sort of um, Muddy Fox mountain bike, no suspension. I remember <laughs> yeah. getting a Cannondale and, yeah. and riding, um, you know, going out in it and having a play in the mud. And the first thing I remember is coming back home. I think I was in my early 20s then. Coming back home, absolutely blathered in mud, and I was living at my mum and dad's house. And I, I, my mum said all she could see was uh, where I took my goggles off, you know, <laughs> yeah. my eyes and my teeth. And she said it was like when I used to play rugby. But <laughs> yeah. I, I found it so much fun. But the other thing I remember is trying to ride across this field that was yeah. a bit sort of clay, yeah, and yeah. just getting the mud just got stuck around the bit behind the bottom bracket. And eventually, I just couldn't make the wheel turn around. One because yeah, yeah. it was sliding on the field, and two yeah, because. Yeah. The, the mud was so heavy yeah. and I had to stop and get a stick yeah. and try and we'll poke it all out. Well, if that happens in a race. Well, yeah, I mean, people, you, you know, if it is a really heavy race mud-wise then, and you've only got one bike, you see people like running with it and try to clear the, pick out all the sods of mud from the wheels, you know, where it goes around the frame, just try to clear it so they can actually mm. ride it, you know. So it, is, it can be quite brutal, but yeah, I mean, I love it. So. Well, also, it makes me think these days, you know, there's more and more traffic on the roads, so it's getting more and more precarious for cyclists. Gravel racing is becoming, and gravel rides becoming more popular. But in the winter, it's, you know, the opportunity to race off-road. You're either going to, if you come off on a corner, you're just going to crash on the dirt. Yeah, yeah. Or you're going to bump into another cyclist at slow speed. You know, there's actually way less danger and way more fun yeah, than there is and I mean yeah, we've yeah. seen recently um, the dangers of time trialling on the road haven't we with some of the pros you <laughs> yeah, know can't, um, can't yeah. even stay upright so yeah yeah I mean it's a great way of getting into the sport and it's you know it's really accessible for young kids they can come along and they're riding off road you know and like you say if if they fall off they're not really going to hurt themselves only the pride maybe but um, 
So, yeah, I mean, for me, it is one of the best ways of getting into cycling. Mm. Well, if we talked about gravel racing, um, we've sort of touched on the cyclocross, the three-peak cyclocross and the three-peaks running yeah. event. The three-peak cyclocross is, is, takes place in our September? Uh, yeah, normally last, week, last Sunday in September. So, it, in general, it's going to be as much as it can be in the dales but it could yeah, be yeah. reasonably dry then so that's more like an extreme gravel race isn't it a very extreme gravel race yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's not but it's not like a cyclocross race either no, really. no. although you will there are fair, quite a few bits where you're going to have to put that bike on your shoulder and carry oh, it definitely yeah yeah I mean it is a one off event there's no doubt about it you know there's no one else like it really um, but you know it's uh, it's bonkers really I mean it's not only is it it's brutal on your on your body it's brutal on your bike as well you know so much can go wrong with mechanicals punctures and falling off and you know it's uh it's crazy really and it uh, and you're not following the official three peaks walking route on that no it goes in the opposite direction as in uh, ingleborough wernside and penny ghent where's the, the running walking routes the opposite way around and it does cross uh on the first climb across a bit of private land so you you can't you can't really go and uh, recce the course that section anyway there's very little of it you can actually go and recce it because uh it's a, a lot of it's on footpath and obviously you're not allowed to ride on footpath yeah yeah yes yeah. just little bits that you can recce really so how much how much time do you spend on actually riding on the road because there'll be some <coughs> connecting sections won't there yeah i mean the first section's on the road, probably on the road for 15, 20 minutes and then up through a load of fields. But then you hit what's called Simon's Fell, which is at the steepest point. It's nearly hands and knees, really. You just... There's, um, <laughs> with a bike. With a bike on your back, yeah. <laughs> with another 600, 700 people. Um, and it is really steep. I mean, you're kind of pulling yourself up on a fence, you know, for like 100 metres. Um, and it... it um, it gets your calves, it's that steep. In stiff cycling shoes, you know, there's, mm. it really does give your calves a hammering. And and then and then it's fairly rideable for a while. And then the the, national, the last initial push up onto the summit of Ingleborough where you're carrying again up paving slabs, uh, quite, quite rocky at the top. And then um, a little bit of a ride off the summit and then another carry. And then you hit the main track down to Gaping Gill, um, which is... Fairly rideable, but fairly rough. You have to pick your way through that and be careful. Mm. And then you, you're on a big, fast descent down to Coldcoats on open moorland. A bit of a kind of a quad bike track to begin with. And then it's just a, a free-for-all down the fell. <laughs> right, I'm going to stop you there. Right, we've talked about descending in fell running. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's a pattern here because I've, <laughs> I've watched you, I've watched videos of you skiing off piste as well through the, through the woods. And it seems to me like you, you, you enjoy going downhill fast. Um, <laughs> in control. In control. So what's the technique for riding off road? I mean, a lot of people find it difficult to ride downhill fast on the road. What's the secret off road where, um, particularly on a cross bike where you've not got the suspension yeah. that you, and the, and the big wide, bouncy tyres that you have on a mountain bike well you need a bit of confidence you know to let to let it go let the brakes off you know um and, and I suppose you just got to be aware what's going on you know it's like I don't know really it's hard to explain because it kind of comes fairly natural you know like descending off Ingleborough it's really fast 
and it, I actually find it better to go faster, faster to a certain point because mm. you're kind of skipping over the ground a lot easier. You're not, you know, the, the roughness is not coming through the bike as much. You, you can kind of, and I suppose the, your position on your bike as well, you know, if, um, helps a little bit. You need to be fairly relaxed as well. And Yeah, so I mean... I'm not I'm, looking down at your front wheel. You're looking like 10, 20 metres in front of you. So yeah. And kind of trying to anticipate what's coming up. But so you're not you're not gripping the handlebars for dear life and no. squeezing Definitely the brakes. You actually no. sort of got your hands feathering them. You feather You've got your hands around the bars, yeah. but actually you've got fairly loose grip, so the bars can move yeah, around yeah. a little bit. Otherwise, you get all that tension going through your arms yeah, and your yeah. neck, and that's yeah, going to yeah. pain. And then, and then yeah. you're not absorbing the shock, of, you know, and mm. your body's taking a hammering in it. But yeah, because what have you got? Forty mil tires on. Thirty-five. Thirty-five. Yeah, and so they are pumped up fairly hard because. You know, you, if you hit a rock, then you don't want to punch it, do you? Because right. it slows you down so much, and then you've got to start changing bikes, swapping wheels. It's you know, you don't really want to be doing that if you can help it. But yeah, you've, <clears throat> and I, it is really hard to explain how you descend down something like that. You, you just you just do it, but but in control, but uh, in control at a, a, a nice fast speed. Yeah, anybody that's ridden near you probably think he's not in control, but yeah, of course yeah. you still managed to get down yeah, without coming yeah. off and you've done it very successfully. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, not, I'm definitely not the fastest, but I'm not the slowest. But, I mean, I do like descending on a cross bike. Mm. It's weird, really, because, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about descending in fell races, whereas, you know... Anybody knows about Felrun, you'll know Ian Holmes or heard of him. And he, he is a really good descender. You know, he's one of the best I've come across. Um, but And he's not too bad on a cross bike. But I, I'm, the, I'm the other way around. I mean, I want the best descender. But on, on a cross bike, I, I, I'll overtake Ian. Hmm. You know, so why am I better on a cross by descending when he's such a good downhill runner mm. uh, I'm not really too sure but everybody has their own uh, finds what they're good at <laughs> so I suppose a bit like the fell running it's really and you definitely aren't going to be able to practice this riding a road bike so it's definitely oh, no, a question no, no. of just getting yeah. out there and as you go yeah, down yeah. and you pick your way down more descents you can see where the thin gravel yeah. is where the big rocks are yeah. you get a bit more confidence in your ability well, and you start focusing and I think as well with all of these um, and we talk about this a lot. It's about focusing on the process, not the outcome. Because yeah, yeah. I def- definitely, oh, you I know, wanna, you do, you're if not, you're thinking, yeah. if I come off here, it's going to hurt, yeah, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, but yeah. if you do think that, you're just going to get tense yeah, yeah. and nervous, and, and that's more likely yeah, to like result in an do, accident. You know, skiing, <clears throat> cycling, any, any anything like that where you, there is a risk of falling off and hurting yourself, you've got to be confident in your own ability and know that you can... You got to know when to get off as well. You know, you can't be gung ho and try and ride somewhere that's stupid and then mm. end up in hospital. But um, there's a lot of people like that, isn't there? But um, yeah, you just you got to know what you can do and what you can't do. And uh, but you get the more you do it, then you mm. know you get to know that, don't you? Uh, so it's. Uh, it, I think the other thing is as well. You certain you certainly get a sense of how strong. Um, your average bike is I know a lot of people like if they go over a pothole on their road bike they're like yeah. a bit nervous about it but yeah. these bikes can uh, you know if you yeah, ever yeah. if anybody's ever ridden the Paris-Roubaix Sportive you hit yeah, some yeah. cobbles there that are like riding up the side of a curb yeah, yeah. and you and I'm, I was 
you know, astonished at what sort of hammer the bike can put up with. Well, it's another level doing um, something like the Three Peaks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, back in the day when I started, we were on steel bikes and they fatigue over time. And, right. You know, I have had forks snap on me descending pen again. I remember one year oh, coming off. Coming off uh, that work. sounds painful. Uh, yeah, it could be. Yeah, luckily I got away with it quite easy, quite well. But um, I remember descending off Wernside and the forks were vibrating really badly when I pulled the brakes on. And I thought, this isn't quite right. Something wrong here. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so the, I, I carried on and then got on the descent of Penny again and they were just getting worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden they just went and <laughs> cracked completely. Right. And then you were reduced to chucking it on your shoulder and running the rest. So you didn't come off then? No, I didn't come... Well, I can't remember. <clears throat> it's, it's a long while ago. I don't think... I didn't come off. I didn't go, like, head over handlebars or all like that, face planting and do a lot of damage. Um, I did once hurt myself coming off Inglebrook, just slid off on the gravel and took all the skin off my elbow and my knee. That was quite painful. Um, but no, I mean... But you don't seem to see as much as that now with the carbon bikes. They seem to be fairly robust, to be honest. Mm. So. Which is quite interesting, isn't it? Because well, I think yeah, a lot of people pay- think that carbon's yeah. more brittle. Well, they are paper thin as well, aren't they? There's yeah. not a lot to them, but it must be the way that, you know, a circle's quite strong, isn't it? So. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently so. Yeah. I mean, there is that. Um, well, it's it's fairly well known to me, but and probably you as well, but maybe not to a lot of people. So maybe we'll put it in the show notes if we can find the photograph. Is it Colin, Colin Moses' nephew, Joe? Or uh, Joe snapped his... Um, snapped his handlebars, and there's a picture of him yeah, holding yeah. his handlebars in one yeah, hand and basically yeah, yeah. riding, yeah. you know, no-handed until he can stop. Yeah, Coming yeah. downhill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got away with that, luckily. You know, he didn't, he didn't hurt himself. But, yeah, I mean, it does happen, doesn't it? I mean, you never know, you know. You never know when something's going to fatigue, do you? You know, what would you do? Change your um, tackle every year, you know? Well, you... a friend of mine, his his spoke snapped while he was in a group ride on the tarmac. Right. You know, there was just a fault in them. He's, yeah, and yeah. he face planted and he's got yeah. a scar on his chin and everything. So, no, no, you, you know, it can happen either. everywhere, can't yeah, it, yeah. I suppose? Yeah, yeah. 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 So... Let's go back to the fell running and let's talk about the Three Peaks fell race because that's not really a cross-country race. It's, again, it's like it's almost like uh, probably one of the uh, original trail races, wasn't it? Cause, well, yeah. Because yeah. both gra- gravel yeah. racing and trail running have become an ultra running have become yeah. very popular <laughs> yeah. in maybe the last 10 years. But, but these, these things have been going yeah. way, way longer than... Yeah. Um, than I mean, it, 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 unfortunately, it is turning into more of, a, um, more of a trail race as they upgrade all the paths with putting gravel down and that mm. I mean, when I did it it was there was none of that really. oh, back in the day <laughs> no. things are never as hard as they were back in the day <laughs> no it was, it was uh, it, you know you're running across moorland and um, obviously it can get quite muddy but I mean yeah I mean it was always a tradition within the running club to run the three peaks so you, I was it was kind of like it was a natural progression for me to, to have a go at it and Mm. Um, I was quite fortunate to do all right, you know. So. Well, uh, you're hiding your light under a bushel there, Andy. In 1996, you set the record, which still stands to this day. So, <laughs> that's the, the, in this year's event, that'll be 26 years. I don't. There can't be many running. Certainly on the track, there's, I don't think there's any records that maybe um, the hundred women's hundred meters, which <laughs> yeah. tainted anyway, but. Um, there aren't many running records that's, that have stood for 25 years. So, you know, that yeah. must have been a pretty astonishing day. And yeah, I'm interested yeah. to understand what, 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 what's made it so difficult to break until now. I don't know, really, because, 
um, they are upgrading. The route has changed slightly, um, some say. It's, Longer or shorter? Um, swings and roundabouts, really. They've changed it in places where it's slightly longer. They've changed it in places where it's slightly shorter. Um, I know the section going over to Wernside, there's, there's a, they've taken a descent and a climb out, and it's on a gravel path. Um, but then it's slightly longer at River Led, and, but it's shorter at Hill Inn. Um, so that's up for debate, whether it's easier now than, or harder mm. than what it was. I mean, um, it's not for me to say. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was just like a natural progression for me to do it. And uh, I first did it in 94. And um, I, won, I won that day. Um, and it was quite good because there was quite a big group of us to hill to Riverled, which is probably like ten mile in. You've done one of the climbs and descents, and a bit of a run up the valley to Riverled. There's probably a group of ten of us. I was thinking, oh, this is quite easy, <laughs> you know. And then, um, uh, and my cousin Ian Ferguson, he held the record at the time, and he was in the group. And there was a few other guys who were, you know. So I thought, oh, I must be doing all right here, and. And then we started the climb of uh, uh, Wernside and uh, I was at the front and I was just doing my own thing, running at my own pace, looked round, had 20 metres lead and I thought, oh, this is all right. And then carried on, looked round, I had 30 metres and I just put my head down and went really. And then, mm. um, but I was way outside his time. Um, and then I went back the year after in 95 and Ian Holmes was racing then as well and he set off quite hard probably under record pace at the time. Um, and I thought, well, I can't let Ian go. You know, he was a class fell runner then, still is. Um, so we ran round together and he was pushing quite hard. And I think, oh, I, not, I can keep this up. And then uh, we got on the top of the second climb on Wernside and we're still together, which I didn't manage to leave him on the climb, which I was quite surprised about. I thought I would do. But then we started descending off Wernside, and, and and I think he must have been feeling tired because he was fumbling around in his well, in his bum bag. You know, you have to carry spare body cover, hat, gloves, and something to eat. And he was fumbling around trying to get some food out, and he dropped his bum bag on the floor. And I thought, well, I'm not waiting for him. <laughs> <laughs> he can catch me up if he wants to. And uh, never saw him again. And uh, I beat him by ten minutes. He held on for second, but. He didn't look right clever when he finished. Right. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I just missed the record that day by less than a minute. Actually, I'm glad I didn't beat it that day because, you know, maybe I wouldn't have gone back the year and run quite as hard. So I knew I could um, run a lot faster. Mm. So the year after, that was the only thing I was thinking about. I just set off and I knew what splits I needed to run and just put my head down and went from the basically around 24 mile on my own and finish with two, four, six or three. Was that one of those days where you just keep pushing and, yeah. and it doesn't hurt, you know, yeah. they don't come I, along I very must, often, do they? I must when, admit, yeah. I did have good legs and I probably didn't really feel that tired till about a mile from the finish and then there's a few styles you have to get over then. Even now now they've taken them styles out, they just keep what they call, you know, the kissing gate style, hmm. whereas before yeah, they were up and over styles and there was a tendency to get a bit of cramp getting over them. And I did get the odd twinge in the last mile. But, um, 
Yeah, I knew it was on a good day. You don't hurdle the walls coming down then? <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's about six foot high. <laughs> <laughs> Hand on in there, sort, yeah, like yeah, yeah. sort of like that sort of um, yeah, yeah. gate leap. So, yeah, I mean, it was nice. And, and to be honest, you know, I think it means more to me now than it did then. You mm. know, I was a young lad then and, you know, I, I just wanted to win that race. But now when I look back, I thought, oh, yeah, that was quite good, you know. Well, you must have had you must have had good form that year, generally, because you also uh, broke the cyclocross record that year. So I don't know how many people have actually, certainly and obviously nobody since 1996, but there can't yeah, be many well, people that have actually held both records at the same time. Well, there's, uh, there's, only, um, there's only two of us who have ever won the running race and the cyclocross, me and uh, uh, a good friend of mine, Rob Jebb. Um, we're the only two of, I think he's, well, he's won the running race four times, and but he's won the cyclocross 11, you know, which is hmm. phenomenal, really. But um, yeah, we're the only two, but... That have won it in the same year? Yeah, yeah. Well, have won it, won each event. Okay. Oh, right. Right. In, in so any, so Ian way. Ferguson, for instance, he's won the running one, but yeah, he's never but he, won the cyclocross think, one. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he was quite unlucky. He was up against some, like, proper talented uh, mountain bike, Tim Gould and Fred Salmon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, were, they, were, they were Nick Craig, and, you know, he was kind of in that era, whereas I was quite lucky. There was just, like, a little lull, <laughs> and I, I nipped in there and got a couple of wins in. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite special. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's finish off by talking about fell running culture because this is what always <laughs> tickles me, particularly when I compare it to a road running culture or triathlon. Yeah. You know, in yeah. the, um, I've I've been doing triathlon now for thirty years, and and certainly over the time, what I've seen is, uh, you know, a, a real a real fondness for data for having training plans and I'm not immune from this, you know, for having a training diary or for using something like training peaks now and having a coach and, you know, really focusing on the training and everything's got to be just so, and, you know, hitting the numbers. It seems to me like fell running particularly is completely the opposite <laughs> yeah, to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's none of that involved really, you know, um, I'm sure people do have training plans and, you know, but, um, I can't, I don't, I don't think I, I probably did in a roundabout way of a training plan, but um, the, the, it, I never really had a coach or anything. But I mean, yeah, a fell race typically starts and finishes at a pub. You know, there might there might be a campsite there as well or somewhere nearby, and you, you do the race and then you lounge about after. And if it's a nice day, and mm. you might have a few pints, and then. But some races will be like a, a bit of a Kaylee on after. And so there, there could have been quite a lot of alcohol involved at some points, you know. But there we go. And they were still serious as well. But you just like to let their air, air down a bit. There was There's definitely a good social side about fell running. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you go and... I don't, the, the Isle of Jura fell race always had a Kaylee after and that was bonkers really, you know. Having a few pints and trying to do the killing. Good fun, actually. It, yeah, because it seems like you talked earlier about riding 20 miles uh, a hilly route uh, to get across to Pendle and then doing the fell race there and then riding 20 miles back. Yeah. So, as a consequence of just 
doing what you needed to to get to and from these events you were getting pretty fit anyway and i guess a lot of people ride to work or yeah, they run yeah. to work or yeah, yeah. you know where you are around howard you can you go running with the dog on the moors yeah so you know it's activity and exercise and you, you can't help but run uphill and get out of breath can you yeah, so no, although no. it's not planned yeah. um intervals yeah, yeah. There's a five-minute effort that's at threshold or above to get up, and then there's a bit yeah, relaxing yeah. when you practice your downhill stuff or just steady running. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's a good varied workout. And like you said before, you know, if you, it's a full-body workout at times. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely riding off-road on the cross, you know, you, you, you are using um, more muscles for sure, yeah. And like racing cross, you know, it's hard work riding through mud. You know, you are using a lot of... You know, mm. use a lot of energy and a lot of a lot of your muscles that you wouldn't use in running you know your muscles in your backside and your core muscles and your back you know um so it, that's not going to do you any harm for running either is it no you know it's going to make you quite strong i would have thought and the, and the other thing i've noticed as well is that the majority of people that i know that are involved in fell running and cyclic well certainly in fell running seem to have jobs where um, they're not sitting down all day, so they seem to be robust characters. They're up on, they're on their feet. I yeah, mean, you're yeah. a joiner, so you're probably standing up most of the day, yeah, yeah. doing your work. Um, I know Josh, Josh Naylor was it? Who was one of the sort of most yeah. well known? He was a sheep farmer, wasn't he? So well, he's, he was he's probably not farmer. sitting down a great deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, and well, Josh was a sheep farmer, yeah. And um, well, I can let you, um, probably a lot of people don't know that, but he worked at Sellafield as well. Right. So that was his main job, mm. and then he was a farmer as well. But then you, you've got the <coughs> likes of, like, Billy Bland, who was a builder. Yeah. You know, Kenny Stewart was a gardener. Um, and Fergie's of them in ducting fitter and what have you, yeah. you know. So and maybe it appeals to that kind of person, I don't know, really. But, mm. yeah, Um yeah, it all helps, doesn't it, being, having physical kind of jobs, you know. Well, you're, you're, doing, you're, doing, act, you're doing activity as part yeah, of your yeah. day job, aren't you? And, yeah, and um, yeah. there's a book by Shane Benzie where he talks about the lost art of running and how movement is the true key to being able to run well yeah. and being able to move well. So a lot of people think, right, if I want to run faster, I need to go to the track and I need to do these intervals and I need to do this. And what he's saying is actually if you move better, and there's in, in the book there's certain examples of where he goes to meet people. Right. And he goes to meet um, a British female who does ultra-distance running. And she's a sheep farmer out near um, near Huddersfield. Yeah, yeah. So she spends most of the day oh, yeah. walking the fells. So yeah, she's yeah. getting that activity yeah, up yeah. and down, off yeah. off camber, yeah, you yeah. know, on rough ground, in all weathers. So you just get that robustness that you need yeah, to yeah. be good at these events. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's been... Uh, Fell runners, you know, prime example, uh, a lad called Gavin Bland, who was a British champion, and he was a phenomenal downhill runner. But he he was a shepherd. Yeah. So he spent all his day, well, not all, every day, all his day on the fells, you know. And it, and he was he, he was phenomenal on the rough stuff. You know, I remember doing Borrowdale, and he'd take you across the roughest. There was no need to go across these <laughs> rocks. I remember going up onto Scar Fell, and it was like, why is it going across there? <laughs> and it was... Basically, we're just putting you out of your comfort zone. Right. You know, he, he, he wasn't a problem to him. But, you know, I mean, for me, I mean, it wasn't that bad. But, 
you know, it wasn't natural for me to run across. Why would I run across all them rocks when there's a nice path around the side? Of yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, I remember him just doing it on purpose, just to right. put, take you out of your comfort zone, put you under pressure. Yeah. You know, you know, but so you're doing that kind of work, it obviously helps mm. with your running as well, doesn't it? For the kind of running he wanted to do. But. Do you ever use a heart rate monitor? Um, no, not really, no. no. I, I, I kind of know when I'm trying hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so it's like uphill it's hard, downhill it's just, yeah. Yeah. Downhill it's just focused on staying upright and going as fast as you can. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and when you're on the flats, it's just steady away. So yeah. there's just three training zones, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when the first came out, there was a guy at the running club who was kind of helping us. He used to set our sessions on a... We used to do grass sessions on a Tuesday night in the winter and then in the summer it'd be track. And, and we did... We did use heart rate monitors, but we uh, the original polar heart rate monitors we used to set them to I don't know 175 beats or something like that, and we're doing a, as, as grass sessions, and everybody's would be beeping, and everybody just ignored them anyway and kept going. Yeah, yeah, because you want to keep up, don't you? Don't yeah, get yeah, dropped. yeah, yeah. Oh no, I'm not going to slow down, am I? <laughs> you know, you know, um, and and I can see. I, to be, I, I, I do. I don't not as much now, but I used to use them when. Um, doing intervals on the I used to do a lot of duathlon as well and um, I used to do like you know the brick sessions and used to um, so I would use a heart rate monitor then it was before power meters came in mm. to kind of give me a gauge of what we're doing so do you, do you use power meter on the bike um, well I do train on swift so I am kind of using a power meter mm. um, so you have you have come into the modern world a well yeah, bit, yeah, yeah yeah it's creeping up on me yeah yeah to be honest, I really like Swift. I think it's a great training tool, really. You know, especially for winter cycling. Um, and, and, you know, you can you can hit them numbers, can't you? Rather than being out on the road. Does that mean you're getting soft in your old age, whereas before uh, you'd have gone out in all weathers? Yeah, yeah. I probably am getting a bit softer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems to make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. And. What about things like diet then? I mean, you've talked uh, about the pub culture, you know. Um, yeah. Is it just like it's food? Do you, do you, I mean, do you eat chocolate? Do you eat cakes? No, do, you, do you sort um, of uh, takeaways? I, I don't really eat chocolate, to be honest. It don't really, I'd rather have a bag of crisps, you know. Um, no, I mean, I do. I suppose you do think about it a little bit, but, you know, um, no, I'm not obsessed with it by any means. You know what I mean? I mean, if I if I have a blooming Snickers bar, I'm not gonna, you know, feel guilty or all like that. You know, far from it, really. But you know, obviously, I'm not carrying much weight, so I must be doing something. But I mean, I mean, like when I was probably in my twenties, early thirties, I was probably uh, I was training probably three times a day. So you had to get the uh, calories mm. in didn't you yeah really? you can't get enough calories no, in eating no, vegetables no. can you no 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 really no so it wasn't really a problem but i mean i wouldn't be eating you know takeaways every night i'd have the we'll have the old takeaway every now and again but mm. um but yeah um it's just being sensible really you know yes <laughs> is that me being sensible <laughs> What, what about the fell runners of today? Are they are they more scientific in their approach? Do you think, or is it is it do they still maintain those sort of cultural habits that you've discussed? I'm not sure. There's as much socialising goes on as there used to be. I mean, I, I mean, I'm an, I am a little bit out of touch, but um, I'm not sure there is as much as what there used to be. But um, 
I don't know. It's hard to say, really, because um, like I say I'm a little bit out of touch with the guys at the front of fell races. So, and I have noticed recently there's a, there's a, there's um, there's a group of guys from Matlock who are doing really well, and I did notice that one of them did reason, quite well in the uh, Northern Cross Country on Saturday. So mm. they're obviously training quite hard and doing something right, aren't they? So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not too sure about what their diets. <laughs> so, so what? But how old are you now, then, Andy? Fifty-three. So, how long do you feasibly think you can keep? Well, certainly fell running because that's probably one way your knees are going to suffer much more. How, how long do you think you can continue running? Oh, I'll run as long as I can. Yeah. You know, when you know, I'll just get slower and <laughs> naturally get slower. It don't really bother me. I mean, Fergie's still running for instance. He's sixty yeah, now, isn't he? Six, yeah, yeah, I think he's sixty, sixty-one, something like that. But um, yeah, and he's still doing all right. I mean, um, and Holmes is in his late fifties, and he's not slowing down too much. So um, I, I still see myself running for as long as I can, really. Mm. You know. And I'm riding my bike and enjoying it. So, I mean, I am quite blessed around here. I've got a great group of people I can go running with or cycling with. So it's not as if I've got to do it on my own. And that makes it quite good fun. No, and if if you, you know, anthropologists and historians have talked about these zones, the blue zones where you've got people living and, you know, being healthy and doing stuff to a ripe old age. And one of the key components of all of those seems to be the community you're in. And the support network you've yeah. got. So your yeah. um, your other half, Sarah, she's yeah. a keen runner. Absolutely. Um, most of your mates that I know of are from this fell running and um, cycling community, and yeah. they're all still active, and they're yeah, all yeah. sort of like in their sort of fifties, yeah, aren't they? Most of yeah, those. Yeah. So, in some ways, that's probably more important than. Um, and again, this is probably one of the downsides of triathlon. Quite a lot is it's quite a solitary sport. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I do think that perhaps training with a group could help people in, um, maintain the enjoyment of the sport yeah, yeah, because yeah. of that social aspect. It's just all like shared pain and shared fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, I have been quite lucky. I mean, you know, when I was running seriously in my 20s and 30s, there was always a great group to train with, mm. you know, with long Sunday runs, um, track sessions, grass sessions, or and just runs in general in between. You know, I was very rarely did them on my own. So, you know, when when you're running along in a, a pack and you're all having a, having the crack, you know, it just makes the time go so much quicker, doesn't it? You forget about how, you, yeah. how, 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 how your legs are feeling. Um, but, yeah, now as I move a bit older, then you kind of move with other times, other things, do other things, and um, I found a nice group to socialise and train and run and... I'm still running with people who are running in my twenties as well, but um, mm. yeah, better than doing it on your own, that's for sure. Well, that, that's probably a good place to stop, Andy. You know, that <laughs> sort of like talk about the community and the socialising yeah, and yeah. still being yeah. out there with people you've known for for twenty years, because that definitely adds to the sort of enjoyment, oh, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? Particularly yeah. when you've got past that time where you 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 know, as much as you're competitive against your own people, you're certainly probably not competitive against the twenty year olds now. No, no, I mean, I mean and that's the beauty of um, like racing cyclocross i can race in my own age group so i am still reasonably competitive which gives you an incentive then to mm. put the miles in during the week you know because you you do whereas with the running it's not quite 
like that in, for me anymore because I am running against 20 year olds if I line up at a fell race and yeah. you know I've got to accept I'm going to be way down the field now and it is harder to accept but um, yeah because in your head you're probably still 25 yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Still, I still want to be right near front and you know I am when I do a cross race like I say because I'm racing my own age group and I am still fairly competitive but when it comes to lining up at a fell race, you know, I'm lining up against a 21-year-old who's, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, might be, it might be a sub-30-minute 10K runner, you know, so I have no chance, have I? Yeah. Well, Andy, it's been fabulous. Thank, thanks for sharing that, um, your life story and your insight. <laughs> feels like uh, um, this is your life, isn't it, really? I'm going to present you with a red book now with all your photos of your race results. But um, it's been great. Thank you for... Thank you for no, sharing your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming. Um, <laughs> listeners, if you've not read Feet in the Clouds, please do get a copy from a friend or, or purchase a copy. Um, we've, me and Andy have got no skin in that game, but it's just a great read and it'll give you a bit more insight into that sort of, uh, that yeah, sort of yeah. culture and community. Yeah. Another really good far running book as well is the one about Billy Bland. Really yeah. Do you know the name? Billy Bland. Oh, it's just called Billy Bland? Uh, you'd have to do your homework on that one, Simon. I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay, well, so there's another book about Billy Bland. I'll put that in the show notes below, so please check that one out. Thanks again, Andy. Thank you. Hey, welcome back. Andy reminded me after we'd finished chatting that we hadn't talked about his duathlon career or indeed some of the races he went to do in Europe. So here's a bit of a Brucey bonus for you. Back with you again, Andy, because... It was remiss of me not to pick up on your tales of your duathlon career. Yeah. So tell me, tell me a little bit about that quite and how, it got, how you got started. It was quite a short one, but yeah, I mean, uh, a good friend of mine who's unfortunately not here with us anymore, John, he, was, he started doing a bit of duathlon and uh, I thought, oh, why don't I do that? You know, I can ride a bike, I can run a bit, I'll give that a go. So... Uh, I had a look at what was going on, and I entered a race in Cambridge. I think I think it was a I think it was a trial race for the European duathlon champs. Um, anyway, I rocked up at that, and it was pancake flat. I thought, oh, I'm not going to do right well here. <laughs> anyway, I, I, some, somehow I managed to win it, and um, I think I ended up going to the European duathlon champs. And then for a few years, I thought. Oh, I quite like doing this. So, you know, I raced on the ETU circuit and spent a summer bumming around Europe doing it. And, um, um, and then I, uh, oh yeah, I went to the World Duathlon Champs, which is in Spain and I got a top 10. So that was quite good. I went to Zoffingen, which is the, oh yeah, Zoffingen. Now that power man, wasn't it? It's a big old duathlon there. Um, I think I got top 15 there. There would that, that sort of race would have been. Um, more up your street, wouldn't it? Because it's a, a fairly yeah. strenuous hill run. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I mean, I actually did it twice. The first time I did it, I wasn't prepared at all for it. I hadn't a clue what I were doing, and um, I jacked, which was very unlike me. But I just hadn't put the miles in. It just caught up with me. And uh, but then, I, then I had a year off, and I thought, right, I'm going to do that again. And uh, I wasn't in the best of form, really, but. Um, so I bumbled around the first run and I didn't really make any inroads on the bike at all. I think I came off the bike in about 30th and I thought, well, this has been a wasted day. But then I actually got on the run, which is like 30k and it's probably like 15k gradual climb through a forest, turn around and come back. And it was a foul day. It was just 
raining all day. It was quite cold. Typical Yorkshire then. Yeah. And, uh, I actually got going on the run and I thought, oh, actually, my legs are feeling all right now. And, um, I managed to scrape top 15. I think I was the last person to get a prize. So <laughs> yeah, that kind of worked out all right. And then I managed to win the British Duathlon Champs a few times. Did I did quite a lot of powermans actually. I did some in, I uh, did one in uh, Holland, Luxembourg, France, mm. Switzerland, uh, Guernsey. And I enjoyed them. And actually, there was, there was quite a decent prize money in them as well. So. Yeah, that was quite a good series at the time, wasn't it? The powerman series. Yeah. It, it was yeah. very popular for a, a few years. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed doing them actually. And some of the races, I remember doing the one in, the one in, uh, France was in the Pyrenees and, it was a great course. You went over a call on the bike ride and it was all off-road on the run. It really suited me. Um, and, and there were some really good, um, talented people doing them. I mean, the guy who won in France, he was he went to the European Cross Country Champs and raced for France and finished, like, top 15 in the European. And when I was top 10 in the World Duathlon, there was a guy from Australia who won that day. And I think he ended up turning pro bike rider. Um, and uh, Zoffingen... The guy who won, it was a Swiss guy, Francois Bernard, or something mm-hmm. it was called. Oh no, not Olivier Bernard. Olivier Bernard. Oh yeah, he won, I think he won Ironman Switzerland many times. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he, he actually, I got the second fastest run on the last run, and he got the fastest run, not by a right lot, only like a minute, but he, he then tested positive for banned substances. Ah. So he stole that, he stole that crown off me, really. <laughs> <laughs> so you've never been tempted into, Triathlon? No, not really. No, no. It just seemed like, you know, I was quite happy doing what we were doing. You know, I didn't, I think for me, you know, I didn't want anything to suffer. Maybe I, I probably could have done with a coach then to tell me what to do because obviously I didn't have a clue. Um, you know, I didn't want me running to suffer. I didn't want me cycling to suffer and just to add another discipline in there. And, you know, working full time, I thought, well, how am I going to do all that? And, uh, but, you know, I was quite happy doing what we we're doing at the time and then, um, yeah, um, it's quite good fun. Well, you mentioned Jack, Jack Maitland. I mean, Jack uh, seemed to transition over to that uh, without an issue. Although I, I'm not sure that he continued fell running after he started. No, I don't think he did. did. No, no, but no, no, he did rather well, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, he did all right. Yeah, yeah, as a coach as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He must, he must be a bit more intelligent. Than he must know what he's doing. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Um, and one thing we didn't talk about when we were discussing your running career is um, you've talked about uh, competing in Europe. Did you ever go to any of the popular mountain races that, that take place uh, in the Alps and the Pyrenees? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I went to quite a few, yeah. Um, I mean, really, the, the real big one is the one in Switzerland, Zierzinal, that's probably the most recognised. I think Jack won that one, didn't he? Yeah, I think he has, actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, I went there quite a few times. I had a, my best position was fourth. Um, so that was quite good. And, but then <clears throat> just at that point then, so that was probably a fourth in 95, 96. And then I kind of got into duathlon a little bit and I kind of mountain running took a, like, you know, I took a step backwards from there and concentrated a bit more on duathlon. And I did a few years of that, enjoyed it, and then went back to mountain running and did a, yeah. I mean, I had quite a busy period, like 96, 97, 98. I was like, I won the three peaks running race. I won the cycle across. I got top 10 in the world duathlon, top 10 in the world mountain running. I seemed to be pulled in all different directions. Mm. You know, it was quite hard really to stay competitive at all of them. 
but and uh, but then it kind of catches up with you, and you know, I, and I think I got some lottery funding because I was top ten in the world mountain running, and I actually went full time racing in Europe, duathlon, and mountain running, but and I don't think it really did me any good because it kind of played with me like. Um, you know, I was, I had a kind of routine at home. I was working, I was training. Mm. And then I was, I had no routine and I probably overtrained thinking back. You know, I had so much time on my hands. I could train so much more. And I probably, I don't, I don't think it made me a better, a better person, better athlete. I think that's fairly common. Um, I've, I've spoken to and heard that quite a bit with triathletes that go from being, um, winning age group to turning yeah. pro and then having all of this not working, having all this time on their hands yeah. and thinking, right, well, if I, need to, if I want to be competitive as a professional, I need to do more training. But yeah. the body's not ready for that sudden yeah. jump up in volume and so they end up either ill or injured and then they can't yeah, yeah. race. Definitely, yeah. And so they've obviously got more spare yeah, yeah. time. That starts yeah. to play with yeah. things in the head. Yeah. Uh, and actually what they'd be better off doing is is keeping the same amount of training, just getting more rest and yeah, allowing yeah. the training to yeah, be yeah. absorbed a bit better. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I was more fatigued. You know, there was a few years when I was full time where I was doing, looking back, I was doing way too much, mm. you know, and I was probably just fatigued and I wasn't getting the best out of myself. And then when I, I had to go back to work at some point and then kind of got going again, then really. You were, one of the things we also didn't talk about was mindset. <laughs> uh, you just, while well, we were just having a cup of tea in our little interlude there, you mentioned mindset, but, um, and I know people have asked Alistair about, you know, have you had a psychologist? And he said, well, if I need a psychologist, I probably wouldn't be doing that well or I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. do that well. But um, probably psychologists, sports psychologists in the world of fell running, probably some yeah, of it would be laughed out, laughed, out, <laughs> laughed out of the bar, wouldn't they? But um, still, there has to be a mindset Absolutely, um, yeah. that those athletes yeah, yeah. have. Just, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, what, what sort of mindset do you think it is? Well, the ability to go out training every day. You know what I mean? So just showing up, really. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, for me, there's obviously times when you've, I don't know, you've been at work all day, I might have been outside in rain and, you know, it's you come home and you think, oh, really, do I have to go out again? You know, but you, you do because that's what you do. You know, that's that's what you enjoy doing and everybody else who you're racing against is probably doing the same. Mm. You know, they might come home and think, oh, I don't really want to go training today. But, you know, you do. And I, and I remember when I was on the track and one of the guys, he, 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 he was probably the best runner at the time in the club. He'd been to European 10,000 metre champs on the track and uh, he used to rock up at the track and go, oh, I'm not training tonight, I can't be bothered. And we'll all be like, oh, come on, Carl, you can do it and all this, you know. And then he'd get on track and hammer us all, you know. And then... <laughs> I, I don't, did you used to read comics when you were little? Uh, yeah, probably. Do, do you remember yeah. the? I can't remember which um, which comic he was in, but there was a character called Alf Tupper. Yeah, yeah, Tupper, Tupper of the track. track. Yeah, yeah, and he used to was he a builder, Alf? Yeah, I can't remember to be honest. But he he'd always, always used have to, his fish and chips. He, right? And he'd always have his fish and chips. He'd turn yeah. up, and the posh kids of the local yeah. school would always be trying to put him yeah, off. Yeah. And he he'd turn up straight from work, wouldn't he? And he'd yeah. have a pair of old running <laughs> shoes and his vest and his. But he'd get out there, and he would just yeah. he was just there doing it, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's half the battle, isn't it? Well, I think, but that. Whenever I think about Jack or um, people like that I've met, like yourself and Fergie and Ian um, Holmes, is it's a bit like tough for the track, you know. And you talked about the nutrition thing. Yeah. Uh, it, I guess it would be quite common for you to go and do a session and then go to the pub and have some fish oh, chips yeah, on the yeah, way yeah. home. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah. And I, I don't think that does any harm, to be honest. You know? Clearly not. No, no, no. There's no wrong with it. As long as you're not overindulging, I suppose, you know, going out and drinking eight pints every night and, you know. You... But not to say that doesn't happen occasionally. Uh, on and off. It has, it has been known, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, uh, hopefully enjoy that little extra bit there, the Brucey bonus, as, yeah. uh, as Andy calls it. So uh, thanks once again, Andy. It's a pleasure. <laughs> My thanks to Andy for being on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, there are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes. And if you can, I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review. And please also join our High Performance Human podcast Facebook page. There's a link also for that in the show notes as well. Okay, have a great week and I'll see you on the next episode with another great guest.